WNBA Fantasy NBA Hybrid Podcast brought to you by Jalen Bootsy, Michael Kimball, and unfortunately our good friend Kyle Stein is not with us this evening, but Jalen and I will do our best to say some interesting things in his absence. We are in week four. It's still very early season in the NBA and in the fantasy NBA. There have been a lot of unexpected statistics, unexpected wins, unexpected loss players um, doing much better than expected, much worse than expected, Uh, a whole lot of fun early season stuff to talk about. The first thing I want to hit, there's a really smart article by Seth Partner at The Athletic. Uh, This was last week already, so some of these numbers are a little old, but basically statistics on early season trends. Um, one of them is that the NBA offense is way down. The offensive, uh, the average offensive rating is 106.8, which is down 5.5 points from last season. Uh, threes, uh, uh, the percentage is down to 34.2%. It's down uh, two and a half percentage points and is the lowest percentage in the over 20 years. The turnover rate is up nearly a full point since last season at the highest rate since 2014 and the free throw rate uh is the lowest in i think it is 30 years it's down to 20 a game in the free throw uh, attempts versus field goal attempts is just 1.69 the lowest rate one of the things everybody keeps pointing to in discussing these early season trends these numbers being down is the ball there's a brand new basketball. It's the new Wilson basketball. A lot of people are saying it's the basketball. Seth Partnow says it's not the basketball. So um, there was a report at NPR that said it was the basketball, that wow. players still just need to get used to the basketball and that the numbers will come up. I'm willing to throw in a Seth Partnow here though, who points out that for all of the statistics I just went over, Every single season starts out that way. Every single season starts out with the offense down, threes down, turnovers up. The free throw bit's a little out of whack, and we can talk about that. But Partnow's saying these numbers will all come up, and the last 20 years of statistics suggest that they will. So I just want to call out to NPR, you and your expert are probably wrong. It's not the ball. It's not the people adjusting to the ball. Data explains more than your uh, guesses at what might be happening in this early season. Um, Jalen, any thoughts on those early season trends? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of different things going on that one can point to, but I'm inclined to agree with you and Seth Bart now that it's not it's not the ball, you know, I think people, I think I've heard shooters uh, ask, be asked the question of like, is the ball affecting uh, your shooting performance? And I think most of them have said, uh, I don't like the ball that much. It takes a long time to be broken in, but that's not the, that's not why I'm shooting poorly, you know? Um, and, and also I think that it's, it's like really interesting, like not only the rules changes, there's the free throw, uh, there's the point of emphasis rules changes on non-basketball moves. Um, And there's also the fact that, and this is something that Seth also talked about, I'm not sure if he talked about in the article, but he did talk about it on another uh, podcast appearance about the fact that 
we've had abnormal seasons the past two years because we've been playing in a mostly non-fan environment. Um, and we know, like, for a fact, the data shows that the shooting in the bubble was sort of off the charts. Like, Anthony yeah, Davis yeah. turned into, like, Steph Curry in the bubble, and that was, like, instrumental to the, the Lakers winning the championship, obviously, to go along with his all-NBA-level defense. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's an interesting trend set against the trends, you know, that occurred in the bubble. Um, one of the things about the ball, uh, some of the things that were cited, I can't remember this is in the part now piece or a different piece I read, uh, but they pointed back to a synthetic ball they tried to introduce a little less than a decade ago. I can't quite remember when, um, but they did a lot of studies with that ball and, and you know, a, a lot of player feedback experience with the ball and the feelings with the synthetic synthetic ball um, was actually slipperier and did cause more turnovers, all of that. And that's why they decided to develop a different kind of synthetic ball, which is how we, or I mean, leather ball, which is how we get to the Wilson that they're now using so um it probably yeah so that that's just another part of it too and i love the free throw discussion here and all in in most seasons um the the rule changes are generally lead to more foul calls this is the first season in a long time where the rule changes are emphasizing not calling non-basketball fouls or non-basketball movement fouls which had been a big part of last season so that's the big explanation for the free throw drop too um, yeah i think the most interesting question is whether or not the free throw rate will rise you know will yeah. the, how consistent will the referees be about sticking to these points of emphasis which are now focused on not calling these fouls and i think almost you know, universally, uh, the voices around the NBA and NBA media have said, and you can see this anecdotally, you can just see this watching the NBA games that like, there are now a lot of fouls that should be fouls under any rules uh, that are simply not being called, you know, um, there seems yeah. to have been like a slight overcorrection in some cases. And I know, you know, this has happened a couple times with James Harden examples where people are putting the example of him kind of flailing his arms up as a ha ha ha, James Harden right. can't get foul calls anymore. But in the play, it's like the defender has his arm like directly across his chest. Um, <laughs> right. And it's sort of like, yeah, Harden is kind of flailing his arms, but there's initial illegal contact already. And the same, I think, is true. There's basically every game you see players on both sides complaining about being hit um, when they're around the basket in the air yeah. and those fouls not being called. So I would sort of expect that free throw rate to rise at least a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it, it may just be a situation where the players have to figure out what are the other ways that they can draw fouls now? Exactly. And so yeah. once they figure that out, maybe the free throw rate will rise uh, as a result. And I think also like, uh, I, I don't remember the, stati the statistics. Uh, Steph's, Steph Curry's free throw rate has dropped along with basically every other player. Um, except Zach Levine, I think his free throw rate is has gone up slightly and players like DeMar DeRozan and Jimmy Butler, their free throw rate has dropped, but it hasn't dropped significantly and they're still getting fouled a lot. So there are still right. players who are who are getting fouled. Um, and, you know, my hot take on the Internet was that Steph would get more um, three point shooting fouls this year just because I've always felt like he. Uh, takes a lot of contact on his threes and he does do the thing where he kind of turns his body sideways to prevent uh, ankle twists 
Um, so he, he's kind of, you know, there's more room for contact because his hip is kind of out and he's trying to protect himself. But I kind of think I've always thought he takes a lot of contact on those shots that doesn't get called anyways, whether or not he's like jumping or throwing his body unnaturally into the defender. So it probably won't turn out that way. I just think that like he's still going to get three shot fouls and he's gotten plenty. Like right. I can register, I think, at least four or five already so far this yeah. season. Yeah, this is purely anecdotal, and and I, I have yeah I have no data to go with this, but I feel as if I've noticed just watching games more physicality at the three point line, and it's not like there a lot of those calls aren't being made yet, and I wonder if as the league adjusts, as this point of emphasis of not calling non basketball move fouls, as we adjust to that, I'm wondering if that comes back up once that sort of settles in, and your other point, you know, James Harden, Trey Young, these are smart, smart basketball players. They're going to figure it out. Yeah. Um, and I, 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 I like your point with Jimmy too. You, you know, his people were asking him early season if if his free throws would go down because of these rules. He was like, "I actually get fouled." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and yeah, I, I've I've sort of been uh, from the beginning of all this. I was sort of downplaying the effect that the the free throw rules changes rules changes would have and they certainly had an effect so maybe i was downplaying it too much but largely i think guys will figure it out um and it'll be interesting it'll be interesting to see how the offense ticks up as the season goes along because of all the reasons that you said uh laid out in the in the part now interview um and you know it just might be a situation where we might be in a new offensive environment the fact that like there are now fans in the arena again and now that there is I think there is going to be more physicality allowed even even once they scale back some of the overcorrection that's happening right now I think there will be more physicality allowed and I think it will be a better time for defenders in the NBA going forward yeah it does appear to be going that way it'll be interesting to see how it develops um you said uh physicality so i'm going to use that as a segue to talk about your miami heat who are having a really good season they're playing um not a lot better but at least significantly better than some people were predicting early on um i'm not sure the numbers are right now but they've been top five offensive rating and defensive rating uh for most of the season and had the top rated defense for a while it might have slipped after um last night's game um and one of the things that shows up in probably every journal sports journalist description of why the heat are playing so well it's their uh, i'm doing air quotes now physical defense mm-hmm. is that why are there other reasons here something else going on I mean, their defense is certainly a huge part of uh, their team and their team identity that I mean, that that is that goes without saying, you know, they have they just have a lot of good defenders, you know, Kyle Lowry, Bam Adebayo, PJ Tucker, um, Jimmy Butler, strong individuals. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they have a lot of good defenders, they play a switch uh defense they don't switch as much as the celtics i don't think but they do switch pretty often and so i think that great on help d2 is that like is that a known thing it just looks that way to me but i don't know yeah yeah i mean i don't know it's it's interesting it feels like i mean what my guess would have been that with uh more uh capable defenders around bam maybe he has an opportunity to hang around the basket and be more of a rim protector i don't know you know statistically if that's bearing out exactly but whatever they are doing you know it's certainly working and i it's 
I don't think anyone is surprised by that. You know, I think the expectation coming into the season was that they would be a really good defensive team and they would bog down on offense on some nights. Um, And, you know, I think largely their defense has just been so good that it hasn't mattered that much when they haven't scored um, super well. But I I think they've probably scored better than expected for most of the season. They've kind of run into a couple hiccups the past couple games, but um yeah I mean I just think they're going to be a really good team they beat the Jazz the other night they lost to the Celtics you know they sort of got taken apart by the Celtics defense they only scored 78 points that game but right I think they're going to be a good team as long as people stay healthy Max Struess is out right now with an injury but as long as you know the main guys stay healthy and they don't take too many uh losses injury losses to the complimentary players they're going to be good you know Tyler Hero's having a great season so far scoring the ball super well uh, Kyle Lowry hasn't even really gotten going offensively. He's had a couple good games of late, but for the most part, hasn't shot the ball well this year. Right. Same thing with Duncan Robinson. He's shooting well below his normal percentages. So, um, yeah, they still yeah. have room for improvement, I think. Yeah, there's definitely still a ceiling they can reach, and they haven't yet. It'll be exciting to see. And, and right, Hero making that jump that everybody was hoping for last season, showed up this season. Um, I'm, I'm sure you're happy to take it. Um, I guess one other thing with the Heat we are, I don't know, obligated to talk about <laughs> happened last night. It's There have been approximately 3 million Twitter um, or tweets about it since Um uh, toward the end of the game, Denver was winning handily. Uh, Jokic was bringing the ball up, and um, Morris sort of dipped under his raised arm, put a shoulder into his ribs. Jokic thought it was a bit much, um, retaliated in a, a, a physical, very unnecessary way. We see Morris's head snap back and crumple to the ground. Um, I, I didn't like the play. I didn't like Morris's uh, foul. I didn't like Jokic's foul. And I didn't like Twitter afterward. So none of these things are good in my view. Um, what, what's your take on it from a from a Heat fan or, you know, any, any, any perspective you want to take? Yeah, no, I mean, I totally agree with everything you said. Didn't like Morris's play. Didn't like Jokic's play. You know, I think they were both dangerous. And I think, you know, yeah. Uh, I think that I consider Jokic's play to be more dangerous, but there was a possibility for uh, in the course of Morris's like shoulder bump, uh, forearm, elbow to Jokic. He was kind of like sort of about to jump to make the pass. So there's an opportunity for him to kind of be hit in the air. Um, I just think, you know, my point was simply really just you can't hit a guy with his back turned to you. That was like, I guess I was more sensitive to that than anything. Um, And I think that, you know, the conversation around it all where like, the Morris twins are going to fight the Jokic brothers or faking like they're going to fight the Jokic brothers. And everyone is like doing this like projection or they're, everyone is doing this public pissing contest about how tough they were uh, veiled in their responses about the, the encounter is just like, I don't know, just not for me. Like that's not, all I was trying to say was like, you can't hit a guy with his back turned and you know, Morris's play was out of line. It was unnecessary. He got a flagrant two for it. I think that's, justified um but i mean we don't have to lie and pretend like what Jokic did wasn't an escalation um and wasn't like a breaking of like a pretty established rule not to hit a guy (laughs) in the back especially in the specific manner that he did 
Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, it was wrong all the way around. Twitter is also wrong. Um, there's a whole toxic masculinity thing personified in that, you know, it was, it was Jokic and Morris on the court and now it's Jokic, the Jokic brothers fighting the Morris twins, or maybe Udonis Haslam is being dragged into this and it's going to have to start on November 29th. So he can be the enforcer against Jokic. It's just like, just yeah. stop. I don't want any of these narratives and I don't want anything to happen on November 29th. I just want to see a good basketball game. Yeah. And, and a couple of things that are like lost in that is the fact that like, I don't know, maybe I'm misrepresenting the people who are voicing their opinions about the situation, but I was watching the game live and they, they brought out a stretcher for Marquise Morris. Like there was a, t- there was at least a five to 10 minute stretch where it seemed like he might be seriously injured. And I don't think it's like absurd or controversial. Uh, I don't think it's pearl clutching to say that, to like give some credence or concern to that, the yeah. dangers of that type of play and the reality of what it could have been. Right. You know, but if he's okay, right. Then it just returns to a situation where like, you know, two dirty plays, one Markeith Morris unquestionably started it. Um, and, you know, Jokic unquestionably finished it with that sort of escalation, but also lost in that is the fact that like the, the nuggets were without Michael Porter jr. And Jamal Murray, um, and they beat the Heat pretty handily. And as I was watching the game, I was almost thinking this is sort of unfair to Michael Porter Jr., but I was like, the Nuggets should have just traded for Ben Simmons while Michael Porter Jr. was healthy <laughs> because they looked damn good. And Jokic is a monster. Like, Jokic won the MVP last year, and he was dominating. And he was dominating also on the defensive end. Um, the Miami players kept driving to the basket and then being like, oh, crap, there's this massive dude right in front of the rim that we right. – kind of didn't we like knew he was going to be there but like he's just huge you know like I tweeted that being huge was working well for Jokic like that's almost (laughs) as simple as it was like he's not a huge leaper but he's mobile enough and he can be big he can use that verticality and he was bothering guys around the rim especially Bam out of bio Bam had a, a really subpar game and it just like especially in a situation when he's not on the move and like there was a play where he got an offensive rebound or got a pass and he had to like go up off two feet two feet from a standstill with Jokic there defending him and I think Jokic might have fouled him but it was like pretty clear that he didn't have good options there just because Jokic was so much bigger than him and it was the same thing on the offensive end so I mean it's like weird that what's going to be taken away from this game is this whole pissing contest about who's tougher (laughs) and all this sort of stuff. But like what should have been the takeaway is that the nuggets are really damn good. And, you know, they literally might be missing out on their best chance to win a championship with these, with the Jamal Murray and Michael Porter jr. Injuries. Like, yeah. They're, they're really good. And Jokic is, you know, uh, Nakai's Duncan had an article come out today arguing that Jokic is the best player in the world. Like, that's not an insane statement at all, especially with LeBron injured, Kawhi injured, Steph is playing really well, Paul George is playing really well, but, you know, KD is playing incredibly well, Giannis is still playing well, but, you know, Steph and Jokic, they're, they're up there. Yeah, yeah. So um, the Heat are one of the surprises so far this season. Let's go to another favorite of yours, Jalen, the Golden State Warriors. They're playing incredible defense. I think they have the top rate of defense right now. Um, They look 
pretty great on offense. Uh, Steph looks great. Jordan Poole looks like a faster Clay Thompson who doesn't shoot quite as well. Um, <laughs> Gary Payton Jr. showing up, or no, I'm sorry, the, uh, um, the second. Third, the second? He's the yeah, second? I think, yeah, I think he goes the by second. the second instead of junior? Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> um, GP2. You know, him showing up, uh, but you know, like everybody else on that team contributing. They're getting Wiseman back. Nobody thought the Warriors would be this good, except maybe you and Steve Kerr. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't even know if I thought they would be this good. I just knew, you know, and I wrote this in my team preview that I did for Rasball that the team made a lot more sense this year, uh, at least on paper. Like, yeah, for better or worse, Steve Kerr is pretty militant about sticking to his um, ball movement and man movement style of play. And they had too many players on the roster last year who didn't fit that system. Uh, most notably Kelly Oubre, uh, who right. had a bad game when he returned to uh, the gold, play against the Golden State Warriors. Just uh, like the, his days there. In the chase center. <laughs> yeah, he's cursed. Like, it's just bad vibes for him in that yep. building. So, but yeah, I mean, the team makes a lot of sense. Steph Curry is still really good. Draymond Green is still really good on defense. And I think he's having a slightly... Uh, better, slightly more potent offensive season so far yeah. this year. He looks a Definitely. little bit more spry. He's finishing some 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 shots around the basket. Like it, the team just makes sense. They've got shooters. Nemanja Bjelica is like a do everything. He can put the ball on the floor and drive the basket. He can make a ton of amazing passes. Like I don't know. There was like a whole thing on the internet between two people in basketball media about whether or not Nemanja Bjelica could be a playmaker and like dribble and it's like yeah he's tall and not super fast and he's gonna do like an awkward like euro step or just like straight line one two step to uh throw the shot blockers timing off but like he's just good at basketball like I don't even yeah. understand why it's a controversial opinion just be like the Manya Bielitsa is good at basketball like he can pass he can dribble he can shoot he's exactly what the Warriors need they want people they want everybody on the floor to be able to pass dribble and shoot and he fits that perfectly yeah yeah, I, I'm calling him a secondary point forward. Yeah, because, I mean, that's like, like exactly <laughs> what he is. It's like, well, and Juan Toscano Anderson does some similar. No, he's not quite as good at all of those things, but he's quite good at a lot of those things and a little better on D. Like yeah. it's they have multiple guys doing all of the little things. And yeah, yeah. like I think like it's probably true. Like it's true that Kyle Anderson is a better player than Nemanja Bielitsa, but that's largely because of defense, you know, like right. they are pretty similar players. They're both slow. Yeah. They're both kind of awkward. They're both really good passers. Yeah. Uh, they both can shoot a little bit. Uh, Kyle Anderson's just a much better defender. So he, he can start, he can play more minutes, but like Nemanja Bielitsa is in that mold of player. And maybe if we thought about it like that, maybe right. it wouldn't be such a controversy, but like, yeah, as you said, like they just, the team makes sense. Gary Payton, the second is coming off the, the bench and just, you know, just getting steals basically any yeah. minute he's on the floor. Like there, he had been inserted into the game for like the final possession of a half, I think three times early in the season. And he got a steal every time. Like he's wow. just, wow. he's just an unbelievable defender and he's got hops and now they're using him like the, the, like yeah, they, they have him dive into in. the basket on yep, yep. Uh, on a lot of these offensive um, 
you know rotations and and it's it's kind of amazing to see he can really get up <laughs> like yeah he's got hops and and um did they have that in the playbook last season because i keep thinking of bruce brown and the nets running it yeah. last year yeah. did they take it from them or was it already there yeah i don't know i don't really know like if it if that play originated in brooklyn but yeah that's exactly how they're using him like like bruce brown as like a you know he's a big man essentially he's like he's yeah. running the pick and roll from the big man big position man, right. yep, yep yep and what you get the benefit of that is like guards are so much more used to making passes on the move than big yeah. men are so you it just becomes easier you know the other day he got a pass and instead of going up for it he pump faked and threw an interior pass to draymond who got a score like it's just working and i mean i think there are real you know, they're not a perfect team, right? They have weaknesses. Steph is sure. 32. He could get injured without him. Their offense is going to just go in the tank. It always does. Um, they don't have a ton of wing defenders. Like Andrew Wiggins is basically the only wing defender who can also score enough to not totally hurt you. Right. Um, you know, Gary Payton, the second, there's questions about his shooting, even though he shot the ball fairly well so far this season, but like, you know, so if they, they're in the wrong matchup where the team with the, which is full of wings, maybe they'll struggle, sure. but you know, they can play and they make sense. They, they're, they know their identity. They're not gonna, they're not, everyone's on the same page this year and at risk of like, I don't know, saying things I've never thought I'd say, I kind of think James Wiseman will have a good season this year. Well, I'm sure they're hoping for it because if they like the, the five is an entirely questionable spot for the Warriors, I think. And if Wiseman does show up, they could be scary good like if they have his mobility at the five which they don't have with any other five yeah who knows where they can go and clay coming back and like you know yeah yeah. if wiseman can just do just be an athletic version of kevon looney they'll be great like it will be a great the old season Jordan for him. Bell role before he disappeared. Yeah, he doesn't need to do he doesn't need to do any of the things he was trying to do last year like dribble the ball up the court right. after getting a rebound or shooting a bunch of threes. If he just stands in the dunker spot, takes passes, dunks lobs, plays sound defense like they'll be fantastic because what they one of the one of their biggest weaknesses is they don't have a, another like trusty shot creator especially a creator who's going to get to the basket you know Jordan Pell's Jordan Poole is doing a great job of that but like they just don't get to the rim that often um you know when they do it's off of cuts and things like that but you know those things tend to dry up a bit in the playoffs so that if they can get a player and if James Wiseman can be that player to put some pressure on the on the rim and just finish and like dunk the ball like they don't have many people on this team that dunk the ball so like (laughs) when they're making these bounce passes on back cuts and interior passes just having someone who will actually dunk the ball uh is gonna benefit them right right yeah uh let's move to another team that has been playing much better than anybody expected given their circumstances the philadelphia 76ers uh some power rankings have them at the top um they've been playing pretty good basketball with the personnel they're running out there they're pretty sick right now and then that's hurting them but before the the covid protocols took a bunch of players down they looked really good they looked like they were having a lot of fun somebody asked Tyrese Maxey how the offense was working and he said his his one word response was immaculate (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I thought, yeah, that's pretty nice. I mean, there's a purity to what they were doing with the inside out game with Joel and all the shooters around him. Um, sort of nice to see, but yeah, how far can the Sixers go this? Like, I don't even know what to think about them with this, the, the whole thing still up in the air. Yeah. I don't know what to think about them either. I was down on them to start the season. Um, just no Ben Simmons, you know, Tyrese Maxey stepping into a bigger role. I just figured that they would have some struggles, but as you said, they've played really well. They've been fantastic to start the season. They're eight and three right now. And I think the last game they lost their most recent loss came without a bunch of players, you know, Tobias Harris and Joel Embiid is now in the health and safety protocol. So they're, they're sort of being decimated by the, by COVID right now. Um, So hopefully those players get well soon and recover well. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it will be interesting to see. It feels like, you know, their season could turn, obviously, if this lingers, if this COVID outbreak lingers and, you know, they, they drop a bunch of games and that puts more pressure on the Ben Simmons situation and the organization wanting him to come back. But as far as what had been working, uh, I don't know what the numbers are precisely, but I feel like uh, Embiid was making, uh, throwing some nice passes this year and his assist rate was up early in the season. Um, so even though I don't think he was as efficient as a scorer so far this year, he, it looked like he was passing pretty well. Um, and, you know, guys like Tobias Harris were their usual, like, consistent self. So uh, I was shocked. I was surprised. And then, of course, I, we have to say um, Seth Curry uh, has just sure. been balling out. I think he's <laughs> he might still be shooting 60% from the field at this point. He's always maintained, and I can't remember that he says that he's a better shooter than Steph or a better <laughs> basketball player than Steph. I want to say he says he's a better shooter. And, yeah. well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on, on lower volume, he's, he's certainly uh, he's shooting 58% from the field so far this season and 48% from three. So pretty nice. good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, def- definitely take it, I'm sure. He'll be uh, showing his numbers to his brother, Steph, at Thanksgiving. Um, is there a team that you've been watching this year? I feel like I've been talking a lot. Is there a team that you've been <laughs> you've been watching and, and want to talk about? This I, I mean, I've been watching the Pistons quite a bit, um, just with, with great hope and great expectation in my heart and on my mind. Um, uh, we haven't seen a, a, too much of a full version of that. We had one good Cade game with Killian um, starting as well before he hurt his thumb, uh, and then they've been off for a few days. But um, it was it was pretty disappointing to watch the Pistons without Cade. They weren't running much of an offense, especially the first unit looked kind of shaky. It was a lot of just sort of dribble, drive, kick out. Um, the first unit, especially the second unit, actually runs an offense. Lots of cuts, lots of motion, lots of movement. But for whatever reason, they're not running that in the the first unit as much. Um, the time we actually saw the Pistons offense work well the first unit was um was the game uh, with Cade playing without Killy in the very last game they had and the offense ran in a different way so I'm not sure what happens there I'm actually carrying Killian on my fantasy team I have hopes that as Cade starts to settle into his role as the guy that Killian's game opens up to um, it's a little hard to tell what's going to happen there I think they have some adjustments coming down the road too I'd love to see him trade Jeremy Grant at the trade deadline um 
Yeah, it seems like they won't do that only because yeah, I mean, no. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. <laughs> no, I don't I, I want them to. I don't yeah. know that they will. It, it seems like they want to maintain a level of competency um, to yeah. like, sort of ground their rebuild and the development of the young players. And and yeah. I think you have to say that they've, they've done that. They've done that pretty well. Um, and, and I, I think, think they, they, they yeah. have a good defense. You know, I think their defense is pretty solid. Yeah, they're pretty tough on D. They gave the Nets a run in a way the Nets did not expect, I don't think. Um, and only came up short toward the end when they couldn't get a bucket. The Nets the Nets ramped up their, their uh, defense. They didn't really have uh, anything working. Um, they couldn't get a bucket the last few minutes. And, you know, the Nets had KD and the other guys where, yeah, it was just sort of, it was, it was over a blink that way but um one of the night after that game kd this is a little hard to say but kd praised cade kd <laughs> praised cade after the game it was just said you know he's going to be a really good player and you could just see how he competed against those nets team and that there is a change coming from the pistons i don't know how far or how high they're going to go but it's coming um i hope killian hayes comes along with it it'd be great if that pit work pick worked out too but um uh, I'm a little worried for his future. And then the other team I've been watching is another really bad team. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, the Houston Rockets, who are not a good basketball team, but are really fun <laughs> to, to watch. They don't stop playing hard the entire time. I loved the, um, they had two games. I think they were back to back. I can't remember quite against the Lakers. And they just went at like they did not back down from anybody and they just went at the Lakers as if they were a very good basketball team it didn't end up working for them but I love the attitude I love the approach I love how hard they play I love how much fun they're having out there um uh, I sure hope Kevin Porter Jr. shows up at some point this season. Uh, he's, he hasn't yet. Jalen Green's a little shakier than expected. Christian Wood's pouting about not getting the ball. So there's already some schisms and things happening there. I'm not too sure about. Um, but a lot of young talent that's really fun to watch. Yeah, I think I saw part of that Lakers, uh, that second Lakers Rockets game where KPJ missed the three yeah. to, to win it. Um, but, you know, like you said, both Jalen Green and uh, KPJ, Kevin Porter Jr. haven't played great this year. You know, Green has probably played played better than KPJ. Yeah. But I, I, I'm, I don't know. I'm starting to question the KPJ as a point guard thing. Um, it's, it's a worthy question. <laughs> it, it seems like his the most natural thing for him, the most natural position for him to play is microwave score off the bench. You know, he's got a score first mentality, I think. Right. Um, he likes to get to a step back and create his own shot. But I mean, in the long run, I think that's probably where he'll end up. But it's probably a good thing for his development to have this year where he's sort of a fish out of water as a point guard. You know, I think it'll only help his skills. Uh, in the long run. But, you know, on the positive side, Jay Sean Tate is really good. His numbers are almost exactly identical to last season, but I feel like there's a chance he'll score more this year, um, which could make him a more interesting player. But, you know, he was playing really good defense on Anthony Davis in the post in that game. He was playing really good defense on LeBron James in the post in that Lakers game. And Russell Westbrook did not want any smoke with him like Russell Westbrook tried to score on him a bunch of times and he just walled him off like with his hands up like dude yeah. you can't shoot so you're just gonna have to chest up with me around the basket and you know that's that's his comfort zone so I think there's a lot of 
at least some reasons to be positive about his play. And then yeah. the last thing I'll say is that game that they, even though they lost that game, Jalen Green crossed over and hit Anthony Davis with a crazy step back late in that game. Yep. So like, that's definitely the flash or the highlight that you can salivate on for the rest of the season, Houston Rockets fan. Cause if he's doing that this year, wait until he is, his handle improves. He starts taking better shots. He starts getting yeah. to the free throw line like it's he's going to be doing that if he's doing that to all NBA defenders in his rookie yep. year like that's and, and not just do like he there were different points when when uh, I saw it with KPJ and I saw it with Jalen Green especially there are different points where they both were just like yeah. I know that's the guy I'm going at him and they mm-hmm. they chose the moment to sort of like they they're. I don't know that desire, that edge, just, you know, somebody who plays with that much um, heart. Uh, I, I love seeing it. So um, yeah, they're really doing something right in Houston. I hope it all comes together eventually there. Um, I know you're also been watching the Hornets, Miles Bridges, um, old Michigan state product. Everybody's been down on him for a few years, but now all of a sudden he's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um yeah, he's really good. He's balling out this year. Um, his numbers have started to drop just a little over the past right. couple games. He's not shooting as well. But, I mean, I just think he's really good. I think he's an improved player. He he sort of reminds me of um, of uh, Pascal Siakam in a way. I feel like he's maybe like shorter Pascal Siakam in the right. sense that um, he's doing a lot, of mo- a lot more self-creation this year. You know, I was looking at the numbers. I was writing a piece on him for Roto Baller. He's just doing more self-creation this year. Um, and, you know, that's mostly manifesting in like layups around the basket and also sort of these like running hook, hook shots when he's like driving from one side of a lane and crossing right. to the other. Um, and he has pretty good touch on those shots. So if those shots go in along with his ability to knock down the spot up three, um, he's just going to be really good. He's not shooting great on his pull-up threes this year. He shot better on them, on them last year. So there's probably some room for him to like progress, uh, uh, to have some positive regression there. So he's been their best player this year. Um, I think that's undoubted that you, you, no one can really say otherwise. Um, and, you know, Gordon Hayward has been pretty good. I think I would definitely be trying to trade him if I was the Hornets, but um, he has been pretty good. Yeah. He's been steady, although he has looked kind of creaky at times this year. He's looked even less athletic. That's what I was going to say. He looks, seasons. he looks really creaky out there. His hips look old. His side-to-side movement is yeah. slow. Um uh, but he still functions well in that starting lineup just as a sort of, you know, old man glue guy that does the right stuff, is in the right spot, makes the right pass. I think he's just part of what makes that whole offense work. And even though Miles Bridges has been their best player so far, I think we've also seen, I, I mean, maybe uh, we're not, are we going to call Miles Bridges better than Lamella right now? I think he started I'm saying this, that more quietly because yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to. Yeah, <laughs> I think he started the season better. Uh, but it, I, over the past couple games, it feels like LaMelo is starting to pick yeah. it up, you know. Um, and just to illustrate, I'll say this. Um, I've got the numbers here. Last year, 71 percent of Miles Bridges two point shots were assisted. Um, this season, only 51% of them are assisted. Wow. So, 
Oh, so you're, um, so it is a lot more shot creation. Yeah. Um, so, because, so that's why I think he's just, it's just, he's just undoubtedly a better player this year. Right. And, and I completely miss that. I've watched a couple Hornets games and most of what I see is highlights. And when you see highlights, it's Miles Bridges dunking off a great pass from LaMelo. So, like, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I don't see that. Yeah, um, no, he's definitely breaking people down off the dribble a lot more this year. And again, Seth Part now and Danny LaRue talked about this. I, I do think his handle improving has sort of unlocked all of his other skills in a way it's unlocked his passing yeah. ability you know I know this firsthand because I'm a terrible ball handler like I remember <laughs> one time in a pickup game someone was like oh you should play point guard I'm like I can pass but I can't dribble so it's not gonna go well you know right. um, so right. I feel like you know you 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 have to have a requisite level of ball handling to really take advantage of your ability to see the floor and pass well and it feels like he's reached that threshold um, and will only get better um but I guess I'll say you mentioned the mellow I think it's really interesting so the the Hornets lost to the Clippers recently and LaMelo kind of made some comments in the post game about how he didn't get a chance to play enough uh in the fourth yeah 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 and then he played 41 minutes the next game and had a triple double um (laughs) so he sort of backed up what he was saying um but I think it's a situation where if the Hornets had a better star player, like if they had a better player in Gordon Hayward's salary slot, right. They would, they would have a better, it would be easier to demand that LaMelo play better defense. I think LaMelo's weakness so far in his career is definitely his defense. You know, they lost to the Warriors recently and Jordan Poole went off in that game. I think he had 30 points in that game. And it was largely because LaMelo couldn't keep up with him off the ball. And he was, sort of doing too much ball watching and was a bit inattentive. And you can't do that when you're playing against the Warriors and their style of play. And so, you know, if they, if they had a better lead guy, they would have to say, you know, like you're not the best guy right now. So you better play defense. And at this point with Miles Bridges shooting kind of falling off and LaMelo kind of ticking up, he's just too important to their offense basically for him to be taken off the floor most nights. Um, and you know but it's it's a situation where it's getting it's getting late early so to speak on his defense is how I feel like he's he's already really good on offense and has clear areas for improvement but he's gonna have to start defending better pretty soon yeah 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 I mean yeah if the the Hornets are going to rise in the east that just has to happen um any other surprises on the team level um that you wanted to discuss um let's see well the bulls have got off to a great start i haven't watched them that much but i mean i'm i'm really happy for lonzo uh i'm glad he found a situation where he's like appreciated and where he's doing well caruso looks really good all the ex-lakers are playing well um and the lakers (laughs) seem like they could (laughs) use them um the wizards are also playing really well um you know early in the preseason i said based on some of the like reading i had done in the preseason that like I wasn't sure how good the Hornets would be this year. And they started super hot and they've sort of come back to the pack since then. And I just, I didn't really know what to make of the wizards, but like basically um, Mike Prada had the perfect read on this. Like they, they traded Russell Westbrook for a bunch of competent pieces and they look like a really competent, versatile team. Um, And the East is tough and they're, they're fourth in the East so far right now. Yeah, that depth changed everything for the Warriors, uh, or the, the Wizards, rather. Uh, and, and I didn't expect much. I really, like, 
yeah, they're a surprise to me just that the, the, the depth um, changed their outlook. Um, I, I thought we transitioned a little to fantasy NBA. Um, we've already talked about some players who are, are uh, outplaying their projections. Lamelo is, um, Jimmy Butler is, Miles Bridges. Um, a couple that were surprises for me. PG3 is um, currently the third highest ranked uh, player on Yahoo right now, um, playing much better. Um, you know, it's it's hard to go from from teens to third <laughs> in fantasy. It's a long step to take. So he's been playing really well. Uh, Al Horford sort of um, looks a decade younger, I guess. Um, not actually. He's just playing really well and playing great <laughs> defense. Um, uh, one of the biggest surprises and uh, um, Cole Anthony. I bagged on him on the pod. Uh, before last season, we had a, a long discussion about Cole Anthony and whether he'd ever develop into a competent point guard. I took the hard line of absolutely not <laughs> ever. And, and turns out I was really, really wrong. Cole I, Anthony. Rem- I remember this. Kyle and I were like, what is happening here? <laughs> and Cole Anthony's been great. He's been fantastic in just about every way so far this season. Um, makes me wonder how you know what are they going to do when Fultz comes back in three weeks? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> do uh, do the Sixers want Markel Fultz back? Will they take him in the, in the maybe, maybe. I think I think you know there's going to be a point where they're just going to take anything. Um, but oh man, yeah, you know. no. Um, I'll say in your defense that I didn't necessarily see this level of performance coming from Cole Anthony, even though I was like one of the believers when we had that conversation on the pod. But yeah, he's just he's just got a ton of juice this season. Like, I think he's averaging like seven rebounds a game. Yeah, he's averaging seven point one rebounds a game. And that, and and I had sort of dismissively. I, I remember this specifically from our conversation last season. I had sort of dismissively said, "Well, he's a good rebounder for, for a guard." <laughs> <laughs> like that was the uh, nicest thing I was willing to say about him. And now, yeah, um, his shooting's been incredible. The threes have been incredible. He's um, and he's doing everything for that team right now. So yeah, I mean, he's obviously he's been way better than Jalen Suggs. And I mean, I think you could say like if he were to keep up this level of performance, he's just flat out better than Marco Fultz, you know, like this. Yeah. Undeniably. I don't think there's any argument to be made, but I do wonder, I mean, you know, they signed Fultz to that con that contract extension. I kind of feel as if they're going to slot him at the one move cold to the two and Suggs will be the backup. That makes sense. I think that I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and because Markel Fultz can Markel Fultz can defend, you know, he's got the size, yeah. so he'll be able to defend uh, multiple positions. And you know, the Magic love long, long, yep. athletic guys who can't shoot. <laughs> yep. So, um, you know, they they can do that. But I'm trying to pull up the numbers here for some reason. The NBA.com's not working, but I guess I, I don't know if this is necessarily. Uh, a nod in your favor but I do think that uh, Cole Anthony is probably shooting unsustainably well on pull-up threes yeah He's shooting 47 percent on pull-up threes so far this season which is insane um, I, I think that's a small sample size thing but um, I yeah I would love it if I'm wrong maybe he's figured out something in the pull-up mechanism that makes him <laughs> 
it better than anybody else. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think even though that number precisely won't sustain, I think he's probably just a better shooter, you know, um, right. and that if he's a better shooter, that really uh, changes uh, the outcome and changes how good he can be. Um, and, you know, the his bounce is showing up in the rebound numbers. You know, he had a couple nice dunks the other game and he's uh, apparently doing these really wired interviews where he's staring at the camera very intensely so yeah it's definitely good vibes for Cole Anthony in Orlando and Mo Bamba's also kind of taking a lead yeah. this season as well yeah his defense um uh the just the numbers have been pretty incredible um the, yeah the I mean Zach's getting yeah Zach Lowe said this on the pod I was listening to uh, today with Mike Schmitz that like something's kind of brewing there in Orlando and, you know, between Mo Bamba, Cole Anthony and Franz Wagner looks better than yeah. expected as well. Like he's looks like a, he's a legitimate 6'10". He can put the ball on the floor. He's got a, some nice moves around the basket. He seems to play with a lot of energy and fight. You know, he's getting pumped up after dunking on people and knocking down threes. Um, he's just wait. I mean, yeah, he's, He's better and more skilled than his brother. We don't need to constantly compare brothers. There are many of them, and the younger one seems to be better uh, in, in many of these yeah. cases. I'm not yeah, sure about the holidays. True. I'm not sure. I think Drew Holiday might be the oldest one. So, Or no, is he the second no, one? Just, he yeah, he's second. Justin's the oldest. Okay. Um, but yeah, um, Aaron, and then Aaron's the youngest. But no, that's an interesting. I, I think that comes from little brothers having to try harder to play with the older brothers. That's my yeah. They get uh, the early skill development. Scientific uh, yeah. take. They take get the early this. skill development from playing, you know, with the older siblings the entire yeah. time. Yeah, just like Reggie Miller did with his big sister. Like, yep. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah. Um, I, let's see. So that was the, the those. That's the good side of fantasy. Those are the guys way outplaying their expectations. Um, three top, no, four top ten projected players: Doncic at three, Harden at four, Lillard at six, Tatum at seven. These are Yahoo numbers, so they're a little funky. But their current ratings are: Doncic is seventy uh, sixth, Harden at twenty, Lillard at ninety eighth, and Tatum at sixty first. Those aren't good. Um, Harden, uh, you know, is okay at that level. Um, most of that can be attributed to some poor percentage of um, a field goal percentage uh, and then the lack of free throws. But also Harden just looks terrible. There's no uh, change of speed in his game at this point. Um, but I don't know what's wrong with Lillard. That's my – like, I know what's wrong with Harden. I don't know what's wrong with Lillard. <laughs> Yeah, I think um, Harden has started to have some better games of late. Yeah. So I think, you know, by midseason, he'll come around. He'll be top 15, top 10 yeah. uh, in yeah. fantasy, I think. Um, he's starting to starting to get some of his burst back, which is really going to help him. And as far as Lillard, I think I'm probably more nervous about Lillard than Harden, only because Lillard seems to be dealing with uh, an abdominal injury, the same yeah. injury that he was dealing with in the Olympics. And apparently I read uh, that this is something he's been dealing with for multiple seasons, which is like oh. news to me and not something that you could see in his play at all. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's sort of scary for like a relatively small guy by NBA standards, yeah. and given the amount of contact he's going to have to take every game. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, it feels like maybe he needs to sit out a couple games to try and rest it, but they don't really have – they're probably not going to win many games if he does that, even though C.J. <laughs> right. McCollum is playing fairly well this season. But, 
Yeah, he's yeah, done. But uh, yeah, I don't think they make the playoffs as he sits a month. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, that's that that's a problem there. A um, couple other players not doing nearly as well as we expected. Um, Trey Young's uh, trending down a little. I think he he comes back. Um, uh, figures out the new rules a little better. Vucevic has been a little rough. MPJ, as you know, you carry him on your fantasy team. And Fox has been kind of terrible. Yeah. Yeah, I was sort of – I would put Fox right up there, maybe slightly under Lillard in terms of concern. He, unlike Cole Anthony, he was shooting very poorly on pull-up threes this season. I think he was shooting like 4% a game or two ago. Yeah. Um, and, you know – just kind of like maybe you should stop taking these shots my man um but uh yeah i don't i don't know maybe it's just been an adjustment in integrating davion mitchell um his usage rate is down you know harrison barnes kind of having a really good season and is taking up some of that usage uh but you know i don't know i want to believe that he'll turn it around there's i don't think he's injured you know so besides just like poor shooting i'm not really sure why uh he's playing so poorly um so you know just hopefully his shooting uh regresses back to the mean and he looks like a better player but it is sort of nervous and I guess one positive thing is I feel like Tyrese Halliburton's going in the opposite direction and is like doing better of late so you know yin and yang I guess yeah yeah all right I have one uh last question for you I've never had an answer for this I don't know that we've talked about it on the pod before you saw Luca's game winner uh the three-point shot um against uh I'm blanking Boston Mm -hmm. uh the game was tied Marcus Smart made a mistake that led to Dallas having the last shot with the Celtics having no chance to uh, uh, counter that. My question, uh, um, Luca took a three-pointer. It was contested by three defenders. He made it, so he's a hero. It looked great. Why is he taking that shot? I mean, I know that's his spot on the left side of the court, that three-pointer, but it's still a very low percentage shot. Why aren't teams looking for two pointers here rather than three pointers? I don't understand. Yeah. I think my answer is that he's Luka Doncic. So that's why he took it. <laughs> I can, um, yeah. That's, like, that, that's the only answer I could think of too, but. <laughs> I, I honestly think that teams are probably too uh, reliant on the quick two. I think Seth part has actually tweeted about this a couple of times. Like, it seems like the team will kind of like, uh lean on the quick two in those situations when they're when they can either take a three or get a quick two and foul again and try to do it again um so i think probably the like traditional uh thinking coaches probably want the more surefire points um and so you know i i don't know if I don't know if Jason Kidd falls into the the general thinking of most NBA coaches. Yeah, I'm not going to count on that at all. I I don't know about that, but um, I think most coaches probably want the quick two in that situation. But yeah, I mean, he's Luka Doncic. He likes that shot. He takes that shot all the time. Um, And I I mean, because he takes that shot all the time and because he takes takes that shot when it's incredibly contested, it's not really that different for him. And because he's like so tall anyways, uh, he, he can make a clean look 
you know, he can get yeah. a clean look in a situation where many players wouldn't be able to. But, yeah, that's really the only answer I have. And, and there were three defenders, but he did get a clean look. But so but my follow-up question, I guess, is, okay, he did that. We've seen him do that. We've seen him do it in non-game-ending situations, you know, dozens, hundreds of times. Why doesn't Jason Kidd have a play where Doncic does that same thing? goes left gets to the three-point line the help comes somebody has to be wide open there were yeah. two guys wide open there wasn't time in this situation but why aren't they drawing that version up you know it's the ne- it's 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 the logical next strategic step to get a super clean two yeah yeah i don't know i mean like i think that there is a way for you to leverage the attention your star player is getting um, on an inbound play or a late game situation, obviously. And we've seen other coaches do that a lot. The Spurs are a team that uh, they run really good late game plays. Sometimes the Warriors do as well. They, they manage to get like wide open threes and layups late in games. Um, Even the Rockets ran a nice play that if Jay Sean Tate had made a better pass, they might've actually beaten the Lakers because, you know, they like, there was about to be a switch. They knew there was going to be a switch. So um, uh, Christian Wood slipped out of the screen and had a wide open lane to the basket. And Jay Sean Tate lobbed it up, but he threw the lob too low. So he had to catch it and come down and they had time to foul him. And then they had to take it back out again. So, you know, some coaches have done it. Um, and I think, but like, it's probably a situation where they had a sort of second option on the play, but right. it's, it's just tough to make that pass, you know, with like two to three defenders yeah. on you and, you know, you know, you're not really sure how much time you have left. So it's True. probably a situation where the pass, the guys are open, but either the player can't see them or can't reliably get the ball to them. So it's almost yeah. better to just take the shot. Yeah. And in that particular situation, the shot, I th- as I'm, picturing in my memory the replay i watched over and over i think the pass was probably more obscure than the shot the shot was cleaner than than any pass would have been in in that you know particular couple of seconds so that makes a ton of sense um all right we um i think that brings us to the end of this episode of the shot tower pod jalen do you want the last word um no we're good (laughs) take us home all right the last word is basketball the nba i can't forget i was just seeing this on my twitter feed it's just the old slogan i love this game that's it we're turning off the phantom power cheers